0: Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now... Here is your host, Grace Gawler.
1: Welcome to another episode of Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and today we have with us Dr. John Singh, who is a vascular surgeon from the Gold Coast in Australia. Uh, Welcome to the program, John. Thank you, Grace. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Uh, John? You're a vascular surgeon. What does that entail?
2: Uh, Here in Australia, vascular surgeons, uh, or... Cardiovascular surgeons divided into two groups. In the U.S., cardiovascular surgeons do cardiac surgery and peripheral vascular surgery. Here in Australia, cardiac surgeons do hearts and vascular surgeons do the peripheral vascular work, which means essentially carotid artery disease and stroke prevention, abdominal arteries, uh, aortic aneurysms or obstructions, and leg arteries and very occasionally uh, emboli that go to the arms. The other part of vascular surgery is probably some of us do some varicose veins as well. <laughs> uh,
1: probably the simpler of things.
2: <laughs> that's the stress-free part of vascular surgery.
1: Uh, how long have you been a, a vascular surgeon? What sort of changes have you seen too in the years since you have been a vascular surgeon?
2: Uh I came here to the Gold Coast basically to establish vascular surgery in 1983, so I've been here since 1983, which is 30 years now. Uh, In those days, uh, I was basically the only person here. Uh, There are now seven vascular surgeons on the Gold Coast, Uh, so uh, it is fairly well-serviced with vascular surgeons. Um, Technology has advanced greatly, and probably the biggest change has been The introduction of endovascular surgery which is basically ballooning arteries and putting stents in them to either reopen them or widen them when they've been narrowed. Uh, It has its place but I think personally it's a little bit overdone in that its long-term patency rates are not as good as one hoped. Um, I think in in the right case, it has a good effect, and I've got some patients we did it on 12 years ago and the artery's still open, which is really good. Uh, there are other people um, that I've seen others balloon them and they block again six months later. So um, you have to be a bit selective. But that's a great advance in that it's lesser of an invasive procedure. Uh, so that's one great advance. Of course, we have the... Um, imaging technology of MRI scans, uh, CT scans, which have become better and better at detecting things, Mm -hmm. and uh, particularly uh, CT angiography and MR angiography allows us to see blood vessels in three-dimensional, with computer technology in three-dimensional pictures. And we are now diagnosing very, very rare conditions Uh, With anatomical abnormalities that we couldn't see before so um, we're we're learning a lot as we go along Mm. uh, and things will advance accordingly hopefully.
1: (laughs) Sounds great. In your day-to-day practice uh, what are the most common things that you would deal with?
2: Well from my point of view um, 75% of my work is cerebrovascular disease people who've had strokes or having mini-strokes, the so-called transient ischemic attacks, where they either lose the sight in an eye from little bits of cholesterol breaking off and going to their um, retinal vessels, or it goes to their brain and they either have a mini-stroke or a a bigger stroke. Uh, We still operate on those that have had a bigger stroke because if they've got residual disease there, they're at risk of having a further stroke, and so we don't fix up the initial stroke but we prevent them having another so that's about 75% of my work. The rest of it involves uh, abdominal arteries, like aortic aneurysms, which is a dilatation of the artery, uh, obstructions of the arteries uh, in the abdomen, in the iliac arteries, and then in leg arteries, obstructions, some of which are associated with diabetes. Um, they're harder to treat because they're small vessel disease, and the smaller the artery gets, the harder it is to operate on or balloon. So. Mm-hmm. They're a real problem, Um, but uh, mainly with the diabetics, it's gangrene of their toes or ulcers of their feet. Uh, A small portion uh, that I do is of uh, varicose veins.
1: Right. Uh, Let's take a look at prevention on a bit of a positive note before we look at other things. So are there any lifestyle factors and dietary factors that people can be practicing uh, to reduce the risk? Of the cardiovascular
2: event? Sure. I think uh, the paramount thing that uh, I as a vascular surgeon and my colleagues as well say to every patient is, stop smoking. Uh, we have a saying in the, in the vascular surgery uh, fraternity, 90% of our patients are smokers and 10% are liars. Now that's stretching it a little bit. There is a small portion of patients who don't smoke who get the disease and they're often diabetics or they've got hereditary um, lipid abnormalities and so they're more prone to atheromatous um, hardening of the arteries disease. But the majority of people are smokers and that combined with probably our Western diet a little bit but with a hereditary abnormality of lipids where you have high cholesterol... Um, has, I think, the major effect of producing occlusive vascular disease due to cholesterol deposition. So the cessation of smoking, or don't start for the younger people, is the thing that will reduce our health costs and essentially my work, although I'm near retirement now, but for vascular surgeons, the work rate will go down. And People say to me, that's ridiculous, you're cutting your own throat but so That's the service to the community. If it costs less to keep people healthy, why not do it? Okay? So we need fewer vascular surgeons in the future. That'll be good. They can go and do something else.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Um, so the, and the second thing, I think, is the control of hypertension. Uh, I think most of the problems with um, atheroma is that the plaque, which is the cholesterol deposition, fractures and bits break off and go to the brain in the arteries uh, and block the arteries and produce the mini-stroke or the overt stroke. And I've noticed a large number of people in my series, uh, is which I'm about to publish, is about 2,500 carotid endarterectomies, which I think is arguably the largest series in Australia, personal series, that is, where I've done all of them myself. And the majority of people have got plaque ulceration and plaque fracture. And the way it must fracture is that the artery stretches with each contraction of the heart. And, of course, if you push your blood pressure up, you stretch it more, you fracture the plaque, and then bits break off and go up and block the arteries in the brain. It's interesting that we've known for ages that anybody under stress has a higher risk of heart attack or, or stroke. And I think this is probably the mechanism by which it works. Um, We used to say people who have a big meal, jump under a cold shower, um, walk up a hill or go running, they have heart attacks in those instances. Recently I've had a whole number of people, and a classical example is a guy sitting at a computer and he has a stroke at his computer, and I said, what were you doing? He said, I was watching the share market just after the global financial crisis. And I said, and you think your blood pressure went up? He says, every minute, because it was looking worse and worse by the minute, and he was going to lose more and more money, and his blood pressure went up. I think he probably fractured the plaque, and a bit broke off. Fortunately, it was only a small bit, so we cleaned the artery out, and he's okay. But I've warned him, and I warn everybody, to keep your blood pressure low. So anybody with existing um, vascular disease, I recommend they avoid strenuous exercise. They can do exercise like walking, but I think people should avoid going to the gymnasium and lifting really heavy weights or trying to run marathons where they're really pushing their blood pressure up because they're only going to produce more and more of these plaque fractures. Okay, mm-hmm. So moderate exercise. Okay, I've got a few... Um, people who refuse to accept it particularly men of my age who want to still look macho and want to go to the gym and pump the iron and I've said to them you've had one mini stroke you've got a bit of disease on the other side Um, you know and they basically said well clean out the other side as well and then I can go I said no but you'll have it in your heart arteries as well or elsewhere and you can produce a problem so one can but advise
1: True enough, true enough. Um, there's a couple of interesting things you've touched on there which we'll, we'll um, also go back to as we move on. I want to ask you about calcium supplements. Uh, this has been in the news a lot lately. It's been in the medical journals uh, in December and, um, and January of this year. Um, so what's your opinion on calcium supplements in terms of excess and what should people do?
2: Well... Uh It's interesting that you say that. I know of no um, good evidence um, that supports calcium supplements reducing um, arterial disease or vascular disease. As time goes by, we may find some evidence for that. Mm. It's actually the other way around that I get people coming in and saying, ''I've got too much calcium in my arteries.'' Any tissue that gets damaged, the body deposits calcium in it. So if you get a clot in a torn muscle in your leg, it will calcify over the years. People with previous tuberculosis end up with this calcified lump in their lungs, and we can tell that there's been some injury there. (coughs) A lot of people for osteoporosis are on calcium supplements, the older people, Mm. to prevent osteoporosis, and they're saying it's going to deposit calcium within my arteries. And... (coughs) I could possibly envisage that if you've got excess calcium by taking supplements you might get increased deposition of calcium. I don't think that's a problem in arteries because if what I told you before is that the artery fractures when it, the blood pressure goes up, if that part of the calcium calcified artery uh, or the atheroma cholesterol Is hard from the calcium, it's less likely to stretch, less likely to break, and less likely to produce the stroke. So I think, and I haven't any proof of that, I think probably calcium is probably better than not having calcium in the artery, but that's from an artery point of view. I wouldn't say take calcium to do that, okay? But I know of no preventive um, effect of calcium. with vascular disease uh, to date. But as time goes by, we may find evidence of that.
1: Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about supplements a little bit later on, particularly some of the ones that are more popular for um, thinning the blood. So we're going to take a break now on navigating the cancer maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and today I'm talking with Dr John Singh on the Gold Coast, who is a vascular surgeon. Don't go away, we'll be back
0: shortly. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America
2: or search for us at keyword Voice America.
0: Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvung-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490 You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegahler.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze.
1: Hi, we're back with Navigating the Cancer Maze. Grace scholar here, talking with Dr John Singh, vascular surgeon. And we're going to talk in this um, episode uh, segment about vascular disease. So John, from my research, I believe vascular disease is among the leading causes of death in the US. I'm not sure about the Australian figures, and perhaps you can enlighten us with that. It's generally asymptomatic. Uh, In other words, people don't know that they've got a problem until they have the problem. Are there screening tests available? And could you talk about what people could proactively do in sourcing a screening test?
2: Yes, Grace. Um, Here in Australia and all the Western uh, countries, um, I think the incidence of vascular disease is roughly the same because we have similar dietary patterns. uh, And smoking and high stress, I think, are the... uh, things that contribute to arterial disease Uh, years ago uh, the Chinese were looked at where they had a low incidence of uh, arterial disease but the Chinese that went to the United States and ate American food ran around like the Americans uh, uh, in pursuit of um, wealth etc and lifestyle uh, ended up with a similar incidence of arterial disease Uh, That the Native Americans have Um, so um, I think it's partially lifestyle and partially um, um, cigarette smoking uh, as well Um,
1: and genetics?
2: uh, well the genetic part comes in the abnormal lipid profile of people and that's why people are on the statin drugs to lower their cholesterol and triglyceride levels and, and alter the high-density lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein ratio, to, to we know that uh, that does tip the balance. Mm. Um, you probably know that statins are probably the most prescribed drug throughout the world. Personally, I see people who are 95 who are on strict diets and on a statin, and the question is, at 95 do you really want to deny yourself bacon and eggs on a Sunday morning <laughs> to live another five years, or do you want to have a bit of quality of life? And I think personally that's a little bit ridiculous. In my opinion, the damage has already been done. in mm-hmm. a far greater import, admittedly trying to, to uh, prevent the disease getting worse is, is a useful ploy, but if it's taken 95 years to develop three millimetres of plaque within an artery it's going to take another 95 years of similar behaviour to make it six millimetres if you're talking about the rates of deposition and that's not going to matter. Of greater import is avoiding the high blood pressure as I mentioned before Mm -hmm. which is going to fracture the existing plaque and produce a problem. It either breaks bits off or it dissects the artery. It splits the leading edge of the artery blood is is, uh, um, dissected under the inner layer of the artery like blowing air underneath a sheet lifts the plaque up which then occludes the artery completely and in small arteries like coronary arteries you haven't got much leeway because the arteries two millimeters in Mm. diameter where you've got the plaque and the occlusion is pretty easy. In a carotid artery the carotid bulb is about Um, 8 to 10 millimetres in diameter so you've got a fair way to go before you occlude the artery completely so you tend to get away with it a little bit and you have mini strokes where you have temporary paralysis of a hand or a leg or both or loss of speech or loss of eyesight uh, for anything from 10 seconds to 2 hours or so but then you recover completely so that's the warning sign. Uh, it's a bit the same as angina in the heart, where you're getting heart pain, they're the warning signs that something's going on. Uh, and the and the crude figures show that 30% of people have a, a minor uh, instance first. 30% of those will keep having minor problems, like transient ischemic attacks or mini strokes or angina, and the other third will have an overt heart attack and an overt stroke first off. And if you're in that group, you're unlucky. If you're in the earlier group where we can detect it and fix it up or prevent it, well, then you're in the luckier group. Okay? But I think the, the uh, main thing is to avoid the high blood pressure. Now, the other thing you asked was about can we screen people? Mm-hmm. And certainly we can. We have imaging now. And from the point of view of cerebrovascular disease, you can have an ultrasound scan or a duplex ultrasound scan of your carotid arteries. And 90, in my opinion, 90% of the strokes come from atheroma within the carotid arteries in the neck. And stroke is therefore preventable by cleaning out the cholesterol within that artery doing a so-called endarterectomy. So I think people, certainly who've been smokers, over the age of 50, should have a baseline duplex ultrasound scan of their carotid arteries. The cardiologist can talk to you if you want to about coronary artery disease, but we've got a number of tests now that are non-invasive, as is the duplex ultrasound scan, and that's a CT coronary angiogram, which can show if there are any areas of narrowing within the coronary arteries. And the technology's improved, so that it's better and better these days. Uh, So that's possible to screen people to see whether they've got any existing disease. We used to do stress testing where you walk on a treadmill and they monitor you and, of course, if you get chest pain, they stop. There have been a couple of people who've dropped dead on the treadmill. I
1: was about to ask you that. (laughs) So
2: that's probably not a good idea. No. Uh, And one of my colleagues, actually a squash player, dropped dead on the squash court. He was an anaesthetist, the world masters champion squash player. Mm. And uh, my anaesthetist friend was playing him squash and he couldn't resuscitate him. It just happened to be his artery that went to his cardiac pacemaker and his heart stopped in asystole and he couldn't start him again. So here's the world champion master squash player with a disease in four arteries. So um, undetected, you see. So perhaps a CT coronary angiogram would have helped him mm. know that he had disease and avoid the stress and high blood pressure. That's so. great advice. Mm.
1: Any other blood tests or anything that can be done, um, particularly if you've got a family member who's had a um, cardiovascular event?
2: Sure. Everybody these days, I think, uh, certainly in the, in the Western world, has a uh, lipid profile done. Um, and normally as a result is put on some statin um, as well certainly if you're a diabetic uh, you have to control your diabetes so you have the blood test for your lipid profile and uh, you can have that attended to. Certainly if you're young you need to have it treated. Uh, I question whether if you're really old whether it's worthwhile treating it as well. I think the avoidance of further smoking which is pro-thrombotic, and avoidance of severe exercise, which is going to fracture any plaque and produce a complication, Mm -hmm. is far more important.
1: Okay. Uh, You've mentioned stroke a few times. Um, In my figures in doing research for the program, I found out that 137,000 people die annually from this in the US. And uh, in 2010, I found it was estimated Americans would pay 73.7 73.7 billion dollars for stroke related medical costs and disability and you've just said that there's a huge percentage that can be prevented so this is really important information can you explain actually what a stroke is um, and how it actually happens sure and what the symptoms are if someone you know to recognize that
2: sure um, stroke is blockage of an artery uh, in the brain which causes cuts off the circulation to that part of the brain. If you cut off the circulation to any tissue, it dies, essentially. Uh, There's a a, um, colloquial term here. They call it brain attack as against heart attack, and it's exactly the same mechanism. The heart artery blocks, cuts off the circulation to a portion of the heart. The bigger the area that's affected, the worse it is, and the same with the brain the smaller the area that's affected you may recover uh, from it. If it's a big area you end up with a permanent disability. Now it affects essentially um, three parts of the brain that really present. One is, uh, we'll start at the top, uh, the eyesight and it can affect either the back part of the brain, the occipital lobes which affect your eyesight so they're the vertebral arteries that are affected that supply the back part of your brain and essentially if it affects one side of your brain you lose the vision or you get visual hallucinations on the opposite side of that because there's crossover Mm -hmm. so uh, we call it homonymous hemianopia you lose half your vision so if somebody gets those symptoms where they lose the vision on the right side or the left side, we know exactly where where the problem is. The next one is if bits break off the carotid artery in the neck, cholesterol breaks off, goes and blocks the retinal artery, the central retinal artery, you lose the vision in the eye completely. If you're lucky enough and the, the embolus fragments and then moves out into the peripheral vessels of your retina, you'll regain your macular site which is the central vision. but. If an ophthalmologist looks in your eye, he'll see the little crystals of cholesterol in the peripheral vessels. And we then know that your problem is embolism of atheroma. We call it atheroembolism. And we go chasing where it's coming from and, of course, prevent it by cleaning out the artery. Now, some people in the past have been treating the degree of stenosis or narrowing within the artery by putting a stent in and widening the artery. And unfortunately, a large number of those, by putting a balloon in and stretching it, they fractured the plaque even more. And when they've put the balloon, pulled the balloon out and let the blood flow again, there's been a massive embolization and people have lost their sight completely or a bit has gone to their brain and they've had a stroke. So the stroke rate of, of balloon angioplasty for atheromatous disease, I think... Uh, is too high and I think the the correct treatment of this is an endarterectomy to clean it out and essentially we put a clamp above the artery uh, to stop anything moving off we clean it out we wash it all out and then we stitch it up again and then restart the flow and personally my stroke rate uh, touch wood um, for carotid endarterectomy uh, is zero and I would like it to stay zero there's going to be one sometime I guess uh, all good things must come to an end but yeah. just to show that you can actually do carotid endarterectomy with a very very low stroke rate, much lower than balloon angioplasty. That's, that's what we do. The other way that it presents is you can end up with what we call hemisphere um, stroke and that basically gives you paralysis, numbness or pins and needles in, the, in one side of your body either hand or foot or both if it's your dominant hemisphere in a right-handed person that's your left cerebral hemisphere your speech centre is there by and large and you can actually lose your speech or get what we call expressive dysphasia, where you mix up your words you can speak the words but instead of saying cat you'll say cot So you're close but not quite, or you can't find the word whereas if it's your back arteries to your brain you get slurred speech so you sound as though you're drunk. So anybody who has symptoms like that they should be warned that there's a possibility that's a mini stroke. You can get that with migraine headaches as an aura to migraine but in this case We really need to find the real cause because if it's migraine, you're unlikely to have a stroke. If it's bits breaking off the artery and going to your brain, you have a mini one, that's the warning sign. If you don't attend to it, you're going to have the major stroke. So if anybody has those kinds of symptoms, they need to present for investigation.
1: Mm, That is fairly good advice. We're going to be going for another break shortly and I wonder if we could uh, run another session because I really want to talk with you about uh, the issue of uh, embolisms and uh, clotting or thrombus and perhaps we can come back and talk more about that. Um, So if you could stay around for another session, would that be fine with you?
2: I will, (laughs) Grace.
1: Okay, so we'll be back very shortly with Navigating the Cancer Maze and specifically talking about how all this applies to people who are diagnosed with cancer. So don't go away. This is a very important session for you. Back soon.
0: Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvung-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze.
1: Grace Gawler here, we're back with Navigating the Cancer Maze, and we're talking with Dr John Singh, who is a vascular surgeon, if you've just joined the show. So I'd like to uh, talk with you, John, about the terminology, and we had a discussion about this just before the show, um, in talking about blood clotting and thrombus. Could you clarify the definitions of those, please?
2: <laughs> sure, Grace. This is a little bit of nitpicking on my behalf, but... A clot refers to blood that has coagulated outside of a blood vessel. If it occurs inside of a blood vessel, such as a vein or an artery, it's called a thrombus. But to the layperson, uh, it's a clot, and uh, I guess that's okay as long as we know what we're dealing with. When the thrombus breaks off and it moves somewhere, it's called embolism. So if it comes out of a vein it has to go back to the heart, it then has to go through the lungs which is a filter and so it catches in the lung because it can't get through the small uh, capillaries of the lung and that's called pulmonary embolism. If it breaks off from the left atrium of the heart or within the ventricle and goes through the arteries it can either go up to the brain down to one of the arm arteries, uh, down to the leg arteries, that's peripheral arterial embolism. Mm-hmm. So um, the thrombus can either come from a vein and embolize to the lungs or it can embolise to the arteries. Now the only other thing is if you've got the so-called hole in your heart with a communication between the right heart and the left heart, it could come out of the vein Go across the hole into the left side of the heart and then embolize down, sorry, up an artery or down an artery, and you can actually get what we call paradoxical embolism, where it's come from a vein but it ends up in an artery bypassing no. the lungs. Mm-hmm. So, with our um, improved imaging of late, we can detect those things, and the cardiologists close the hole in the heart or, or the, the so called septal defect and uh, prevent that happening. It's very impressive.
1: Yeah, that you can identify that these days. It's great. Um, In my research also, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is working with cancer patients over a long period of time. We're seeing a lot of cancer patients uh, actually die from embolisms, pulmonary embolisms, or from a thrombus somewhere particularly associated with DVT and particularly associated with uh, flying whether it's been for a holiday or whether it's been for treatment so I'd really like to be able to address this um, and perhaps we could start if you could describe you've done a little bit already what a pulmonary embolism is um, and DVT so how do these clots form and why do cancer patients have uh, seven times the risk of clotting? Sure or getting um, a thrombus, to be yes, accurate.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not certain whether we've worked out the exact mechanism of why cancer patients have the increased risk, but the fact is they do. We've known this for a long while. Um, one of the possible reasons is that if the body suffers any kind of injury, such as uh, a surgical operation patients are more prone to a thrombosis postoperatively and it's probably something to do with the inflammatory response to injury and um, one could expect the same kind of response with an insult such as a cancer. So I think that's probably how it works. It seems to be worse and I don't have actually proof for this in figures statistically But the worse the cancer is, such as people with multiple uh, metastases, uh, they seem to present with um, worse deep venous thrombosis than do people with early cancer. And I'm not certain whether that's related to the cancer or just because they are more infirm and they are less mobile. So that's the first thing as associated with cancer. The other thing associated with cancer is that these people are having multiple treatments. They are having chemotherapy, which affects their marrow and the cancer as well and probably damages other tissues throughout the body and perhaps even the lining of the veins and making them more prothrombotic. They are having surgical procedures where they're lying on an operating table for anywhere between one and three, four hours or so. So there's immobilisation. If they're infirm and they're lying in bed with pain and having treatment, they are immobile again. So all of these things are pro-thrombotic, make you prone to getting a deep venous thrombosis. Probably the commonest site is in the veins of the calf muscles and uh, particularly the back of the calf uh, in the so-called soleus muscle, there are huge veins called sinusoids. They're bigger than ordinary veins. And if you are immobilised or the flow of blood through these veins is stopped either by compression from outside or by dependency of the leg or lack of movement or contracting of these muscles to milk the blood out, a bit like milking a cow, Um, Well, then you're more prone to thrombosis, and hence the sitting in a particularly um, economy class in an aeroplane for a long period with your legs hanging down and not contracting these muscles, you're prone to thrombus forming. So you get a deep venous thrombosis. Uh, Two things happen. Either the thrombus propagates up the leg as it blocks in the calf, and you can get it propagating all the way up Uh, basically to your umbilicus, into the iliac vein, where it tends to stop because the flow coming through the other side artery, uh, uh, sorry, other side vein will keep the blood flowing and so it doesn't progress into the big vein in the abdomen called the inferior vena cava. Although that sometimes does happen if you've got multiple um, things, in which case the patient ends up with both legs swollen, because the venous outflow is, is obstructed. Uh, so the same thing happens if you lie on an operating table with your legs, sorry, your calves resting on the operating table for a long period. It's compressing the vein and the blood can't flow, mm-hmm. and so you get a thrombus. Um, as I say, flying an aeroplane, if people are going on a long flight, uh, particularly if you've got cancer or you've got a hereditary tendency to thrombosis, um, which is something that needs to be uh, investigated, uh, in my opinion, in all cancer patients to detect whether they have a predisposition to thrombosis. And if on top of that you've got cancer and you're immobilised, you're Mm -hmm. really pushing your luck if you don't take some precaution or preventative measure to stop it. Um,
1: John, what's the impact of the pressurised cabin when people actually walk onto a, a plane? They sit down, and the cabin the cabin is pressurised. What's actually happening in the body at that point? Because that's another aspect to this, isn't it? Apart from just sitting still.
2: Yes, Grace. Uh, you're actually the cabin is depressurised. I'm sorry, depressurised. Yes, it's pressurised yeah. to 12,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, if it was if it was depressurised any more, you would short of breath you wouldn't get enough oxygen so it's depressurized a little bit uh, as far as I know uh, it doesn't have any effect upon deep venous thrombosis or the venous system there's possibly some effect in that the external pressure is less but if your heart is pumping adequately <coughs> excuse me and you don't have any venous obstruction, there shouldn't be a great effect from the point of view Mm -hmm. of being Mm -hmm. pro-thrombotic. I think the major thing is that being on an aeroplane and being immobilised, particularly if you're in the middle seat in economy class, it's a bit hard to move around. And so you've got to do some exercise to contract those calf veins Uh, calf muscles and compress those calf veins, keep the blood moving and prevent a thrombosis.
1: Yes, now again before the show today you gave me a demonstration of uh, that. Would you be able to explain that in some way, uh, what people can do? Because we've got all the exercises that people can do on the flight. It's it's there in front of you and they explain it. Um, But what would you suggest, what exercising?
2: Sure, Grace. I know on the airlines they tell... Um, uh, travellers to um, sitting down to uh, move their feet up and down at the ankle the so called dorsiflex and plantar flex and that does plantar flexion pushing your foot downwards does contract your calf muscles because that's the muscle that actually pushes your foot down, pulls on your Achilles tendon and pushes your foot down Mm -hmm. I tend to err on the side of caution and the best way of Of contracting this muscle to its maximum is to lift the weight and you can't carry weights on an airplane but you lift your own body weight so what I suggest to to people uh, to everybody and I do it myself uh, is to stand up and stand on your toes up and down lift your heel off the ground that way you're lifting your own body weight depending upon what you weigh if you weigh 150 Kilograms, you're lifting 150 kilograms. If you weigh 70 kilograms, you're only lifting 70 kilograms. But that way you're contracting this calf muscle to its maximum. You squeeze these venous sinusoids and you milk the blood out of them. If you keep the blood flowing, it's far less likely that you're going to get a thrombosis. I recommend people do it every half hour. And even if you're in an economy class and you're locked in a seat, you can stand up in the seat and do it every half hour.
1: Yeah, great advice. So, um, other things that people can do, uh, John, uh, we're talking about stockings, you and I, earlier, and the need to get proper um, fitting for any hose that you're wearing on the flight. Could you enlarge upon that?
2: Sure, Grace. Um, I think there's a, a, a lot of misunderstanding out in the community. We have what we call travel socks. And uh, there's another type of uh, stocking, as it were, uh, calf length. Uh, They also go all the way up to the groin. Uh, But I think that's basically unnecessary because deep venous thrombosis occurs mainly in the calf. But anti-thrombotic stockings are those stockings which people get in in hospital. uh, And they've only been shown to work if you're lying down So if you're sitting in an aeroplane seat with your legs hanging down, essentially they don't prevent thrombosis. Um, There are many grades of stocking and they go up to what we call class 4, which has 50 to 60 millimetres compression. And I don't know whether there's been any uh, studies done on stockings of that degree of compression In preventing deep venous thrombosis, because if it was fitted correctly, one could expect that it would, in actual fact, compress the calf significantly and compress these calf sinusoids that I was talking about before. And although they mightn't occlude them completely, which one doesn't want to do, because as I said before, if you compress a vein and you occlude it below this, you're going to develop a thrombus, and then as soon as you release the compression, Uh, it may propagate upwards. But the stockings that are prescribed as travel socks, in my opinion, only stop swelling of your legs. They don't stop you getting a thrombosis. So you need to do the exercises, and if you're at high risk, take other prophylactic measures such as anti-platelet medication such as aspirin or the so-called clopidogrel, or you take heparin-like products like Clexane or fragment as an injection to prevent thrombosis. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a recommended safe dose for taking aspirin, and how long before you fly do you need to take aspirin if you're specifically using it for the flight?
2: Sure. As an antithrombotic effect or anti effect, you only need 75 milligrams of aspirin a day uh, to get uh, a good anti-plated effect um, the other drug, clopidogrel, is much stronger and much more efficacious as an antiplatelet drug and in actual fact, its uh, dose is a 75 milligram tablet. And so it's it's a little bit of, for want of a better term, overkill from an antiplatelet effect. Uh, but if you're taking that as well, that should be enough. I, I tell patients to take if they can get it, the aspirin comes in a hundred milligram size, so they take hundred milligrams. If they can't find a uh, hundred milligram aspirin, they break a 300 milligram tablet in half and take half of one. Uh, or if they can't break it in half, they take the whole aspirin. one aspirin a day is not going to hurt anybody. It will make you prone to a little bit of bleeding, so if you cut yourself shaving or, or you know, men shaving their neck or women shaving their legs, Uh, It might bleed for a little bit longer, but you just put a bit of pressure over it and eventually it will stop. Okay.
1: Um, Should people continue that when they um, get back from their flight and for how long?
2: Sure. As far as we know, you can be prone to thrombosis for up to 10 days after a long period of immobilisation. So what I recommend patients do is they start the antiplatelet therapy, be it aspirin, clopidogrel or the injections the day before and they continue it for 10 days after the flight so that means on the return flight as well so if they're only going to be away for five days they basically take it the day before they go away and they continue it for 10 days after they've gotten back.
1: Great. Okay, we've come to the end of our time. So I'd like to thank you very much for being so generous with your time today. And I'm sure everybody who's listening to this episode of Navigating the Cancer Maze is going to be very grateful to you. So thank you very much, John Singh.
2: Thank you, Grace, for having me.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvung-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-Clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490 7443 Follow us on Twitter at Voice TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America T R N. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at GraceGoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze.
1: Hello, Grace Goller here and we're back with the maze. Um, I am sure that you found that interview with Dr. John Singh, vascular surgeon, of uh, great help. I think it's one you should bookmark. It's it's one that people should perhaps listen to a few times because the information that uh, Dr. Singh presented to us, I think is really life-saving. And uh, the educational part, so particularly for flying, whether you're a cancer patient or whether you're someone who is quite well and you don't think that you um, have a blood clotting problem, this seems to be an area which has been very um, unaddressed in many ways. Uh, At the end of the show, I'm going to give you uh, folks for the USA a really excellent resource that I came across and uh, you'll be able to find out information not only if you're a well person wanting to enhance your vascular um, care and uh, practice prevention, but also if you're a cancer patient. Um, and actually, this particular site I'm going to give you will list some of the drugs that are known to uh, be an additional problem um, if you're a cancer patient. Uh, it's really quite a an interesting thing to follow because I can remember back somewhere around about 30 years ago, um, I knew a doctor, Dr. Roy Bean in Melbourne, um, who'd been a chemotherapist, in fact, for about 30 years. And he was a great teacher. And one of the things he said to me which really stuck was that all cancer patients, he said, let's call it simply, they have sticky blood. And this is what uh, Dr. Singh's been talking about today. And he said, you must take care of that if you're going to take care of the patient. And so in my practice, I actually incorporated this so we're going back a long way before these things were popular and indeed I do wonder um, with addressing this aspect of people's potential for clotting remember that a cancer patient has seven times the risk of getting a blood clot and that um, is certainly increased when you fly as well so to be able to have these interventions I'm certain that a lot of my long-term surviving cancer patients may have taken advantage of that. We didn't really know back then um, on many levels actually how uh, important that information was. I wanted to um, add in a, a couple of uh, interesting things for you here that we didn't get time to touch on um, with Dr. Singh. And that's a couple of things that you can actually do in a dietary sense. Um, over the years, I've looked quite a lot at the issue of trans fats, and um, trans fats are uh, basically it's a fat that's made through hydrogenation so it's bubbled through um, they bubble it with oxygen and they actually change the structure of the trans fat so it means instead of having something that goes hard like butter um, you can have something that's very soft and mushy like, like margarine um, now these uh, trans fats have been found to also increase the risk of clotting and uh, or developing a thrombus if we're being correct so uh, uh, I found at the university um, in America, there's a Dr. Fred, or is a Professor Fred Kumaro. He's now 94. Um, he spent six decades actually studying lipid biochemistry, and he's saying to people, avoid the trans fats that they do interfere um, with blood flow processes and with the chemistry um, of the blood. So I think that's something that you can take on board. Do look at your products. Remember last week we talked about shopping with your magnifying glasses, making sure they're in your purse, getting them out and having a look. Uh, very important to look at trans fats because you'll find they're actually in- – operated in a lot of products and when you have uh you know, in one product, adding to another, adding to another, and you have a bit of fast food, this can really be a problem. So uh, I think that's something positive you can do. Including fish in your diet at least three times a week or more has also been found um, to help prevent clotting and, um, and thrombus issues. The vegetarian diet, reducing red meat in the diet, not eliminating it but reducing it, and having the healthier cuts also has uh, been discovered to actually help this problem. Now, if you want to go to a great website, um, it is called uh, StopTheClot.com. It's a US-based website and it's the National Blood Clot Alliance. They have a fantastic range of, uh, arrangement of resources there for you. So StopTheClot.com and make sure you check out the uh, menu bars You'll find information on there about cancer and um, the avoidance of uh, blood clotting if you're a cancer patient, the right questions to ask. I really think it's one of the best websites that I've seen um, in this area. So look at Stop the Clot. and that has been the subject for today with Navigating the Cancer Maze. I do hope that you've been able to take away a lot of helpful information for you, your family, your friends. Remember to share this, share the information, share the MP3. You can download this online and good to know we'll be back next week with another Navigating the Cancer Maze and I'm your host, Grace Gawler. We'll see you then and have a great week.
0: Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Gahler, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.